the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back, and we are in our second hour on this Monday edition of Lifeline. One line open, one 888 Let's go to line number four and talk with Taj in Oakland. Taj, are you there? Yes, sir. All right, what's your question, comment, or observation? Well, I had one question when it was based on women preachers. I've noticed that it has been something that I have been confronted with on many levels, and and I was trying to search it out through the Word, and I was coming to so many conclusions, but I felt like I asked somebody who I know would give me, or at least lead me into a a direction that I could get a definitive answer. Mm -hmm. I was really trying to find out what is that even Bible-based. Right. So what did your your findings uh, result in? Well, one, I kept coming to points of the whole that, you know, that Timothy, in Timothy, he, you know, Paul basically was saying that they're not to teach spiritually over men. And I was trying to figure out that that have any standing as far as when it comes to a pastor or to even be over churches, because I would figure that would be in the same you know, in the same room, you know, like, is that what he's talking about? Or is he talking about in, in another, in another platform? Mm-hmm. No. Right. So let's just back up a little bit. Um, what's interesting to many of us who hold to a conservative biblical based hermeneutic and method of interpretation of scripture, uh, Todd, is how for so long, uh, in fact, all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, it was very clear what the Bible sets down as the fundamental leadership of the church, whether in the Old Testament or the New. The precedent is so absolutely consistent that it's almost without variation. God chose male leaders all the way through the Old Testament. He chose male leaders, put them in official positions, instructed how they should be qualified to enter in and uh, and removed if they failed to maintain those qualifications, old and new. Uh, and so in the Old Testament, you have prophets. You never had a uh, a, a, a serious ongoing uh, calling of a woman to be a prophet uh, of the level of uh, Jeremiah or Daniel or, or any of the minor and major prophets of the scripture. We have one or two Old Testament female prophetesses. Those are always maximized as the fundamental argument, Deborah, uh, Holda, uh, and, and a few other very obscure uh, terms that are used for those who want to defend women preachers and women prophets. But we've said it before, if you take the exception to the rules and you make them the rule, then you never have the exceptions ever. So when you take a a situation where Deborah is a judge in the book of Judges, 20 judges to be exact, and she's one of them, uh, that doesn't give all women rights to become pastors or preachers or leaders of churches because God allowed an exception to the rule. As I had stated before, Todd, if there's an exception to the rule and then that exception becomes the rule, there's no more exception. Exception to the rule. Does that make sense? 
Yep. Let me keep going then. Right. So once we come into the New Testament, the Lord chose 12 apostles. He did not choose one woman to be part of the foundation of the New Testament church. Does he love women? Absolutely. Was he radical and revolutionary in his his institution of women into uh, being uh, significant partakers of the kingdom of God? Absolutely. Without a doubt. How about the Apostle Paul? Is it that the Apostle Paul sort of took up where Christ left off and became even more male, uh, egocentric and misogynistic, as would be asserted by the liberal progressives today? Certainly not. He was far more uh, progressive than the culture would even allow, and certainly uh, Judaism at its time. Uh, But when Paul understood that women's roles are rooted not just in culture, but it's rooted in creation, it's rooted in the biblical mandate that starts back in Genesis and works its way all the way up to the return of Christ, he understood that there was no basis for which women could occupy the same roles and offices of men, particularly in the context of leadership, because of a creation mandate. Women are to be complementarian in their relationship to men, particularly in the context of the church. And therefore, not only is it in 1 Timothy chapter 2, as you have verses 7 through 9, uh, I do not permit a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in subjection as the scriptures would teach. And then he gives the reason why Eve was the one in the transgression, not the man. And I'm going to be teaching on that in the new year, because there's a whole lot of misinterpretation on the part of men making the assumption that Adam was right there when Eve sinned and that somehow he was partaking in that sin. But that text teaches us that Adam could not have been in the same space with Eve when she sinned or else he would have been in the transgression. So one needs to be able to examine that text and teach why it was that he was an absentee to the transgression so that he did not hear the whole of the argument that led her into the deception. She was deceived. Now, she was deceived, Todd. Because when the tempter came, she did not relegate herself to uh, to deferring to her husband as the one that would stand over against this false prophet, this philosopher, this hookster, this crook called the devil. She thought she could handle him herself. And the devil knew her temperament and he was able to hoodwink her. And thus God said in Genesis three sixteen to the woman, your desire shall be to your husband and he shall rule over you. In other words, God reinstated the authorial role of the man over the woman so that we would know from the fall till now that it's the job of the man in the home to exercise final um, decision making in matters with which maybe both the husband and the wife can work together and collaborate. But he he holds the responsibility. And so it is in leadership in the church. I say all that to say this in preparation to take a break, Taj. We are in the apostasy in our churches today, so apostate are our churches today that we are operating in glaringly open rebellion against God's word. And nobody's saying anything about it, but people who are willing to stand on God's word, glaringly open rebellion. And here's why, because God doesn't open up the earth and swallow us up. When we sin against his word, as the preacher puts it in Ecclesiastes, our hearts are hardened and it only allows us to do more and more sin. But this is a clear indication of the abdication of authority on the part of men to let women uh, climb into the pulpit and exercise authority over men. So women feel like they're called to the pastorate. But I'm here to tell them and you and all they're not called by God 
to the pastorate or else God would be contradicting himself. Now, there's a whole lot more going on here, Todd, around uh, a low view of Scripture, a low view of the authority of the Word of God, a low view of the perspicuity, the clarity of Scripture uh, by the progressives and liberals who would tear the Bible apart and reconstruct it to justify their positions. But a sound hermeneutic just has no room for uh, women being pastors over men. Can they preach? Sure they can. Where? In in situations where they're not violating God's Word. First Corinthians chapter 11 is a teaching that I did just recently around God um, correcting the chain of commands, uh, asserting the chain of commands in the book of Corinth, 1 Corinthians 11, that the head of Christ is the father, the head of man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. Therefore, the man ought not to have a covering when he prays or prophesies, but the woman is to have a covering when she prays or prophesies. And so women will go, "Uh uh-huh, see, there you go. She can prophesy in the church. Well, when you don't have a sound hermeneutic, you'll come up with all kinds of conclusions. The same apostle that said that in 1 Corinthians 11 was the one who said in 1 Corinthians 14, I do not allow women to speak in the church. It is contrary to God's word. So how are you going to have in one passage allowing them to preach in the church? And then just three chapters later, he forbids it. So we have to be able to harmonize scripture. And when you harmonize scripture, what it means is women can have the gift of communicating and proclaiming God's word, but to women. In women's ministries, and the world needs women ministries. We need our sisters being taught the word of God in the sense that they need to be taught how to be women, how to be godly, how to raise daughters, how to walk right, how to love their husbands, how to obey their husbands, how to honor God. That's what those are the kind of teaching women that we need. We don't need teaching women to be like men. Um, But, you know, the words that I'm sharing with you are falling on deaf ears with the exception of God's elect. Listen, man, thanks for the call. That's the best I can do. There's a ton of literature out there, good stuff out there that can help you if you really want to find a sound hermeneutic that will keep you from falling prey to the liberal progressive delusion, even though it's growing more and more. As Paul had said, in the latter days, some shall give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils departing from the truth. And as he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, they will not endure sound doctrine, but give themselves over to teachers because they have itching ears. They will turn away their ears from the truth and give themselves over to fables. And wherever you see the proliferation of women preachers and women teachers, you also see an absence of sound doctrine, Christocentric theology, and serious sanctification of life. Because you can't walk in rebellion in your role and then expect other people to actually obey the word of God. Got to take a break. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. The time is 623. Let me see here. I'll go to line number one and talk with David in San Leandro. David, are you there? Yes. Is that David? David? Who is this? David. Oh, David, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, no, da- it's, it's, it's Dawid in the, in the Greek. Dawid. Dawid. It's Dawid in the Greek. And don't emphasize the last vowel. Emphasize the first. I'm messing with you. Go ahead on, David. What's your question or observation today? Well, my parents said that um, if you if you go trick-or-treating, there's some demons 
There's some demons. Is that really true or not? It could be. It could be. Um, I would say this. Very good question. I was wondering whether anybody was going to bring it up. Um, the question that we all have to ask as Christians, and we're getting some really good questions today around what the Bible says and what the Bible doesn't say. The Bible certainly speaks against promoting um, or glorifying or honoring darkness. And so Halloween these days in the larger secular context, David, is about promoting a kind of darkness and death and demonism that Christians really should not associate with relative to ghosts and goblins and and uh skeletons and dead bodies and vampires and werewolves all of that stuff is part of old folklore that really is not healthy for anybody's mind let alone a christian in other words if you and i want to dress up and represent somebody it least at least ought to be someone that we can respect and truly honor like if i had my way david if i dressed up i would want to be the hulk actually i'm a Actually, I'm a ninja. A ninja. Oh, man, that's cool. You know martial arts? Uh, I do. I do. I do. I'd study martial arts for years. My family did too. So I, 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 I'm, I'm with you, brother. A ninja. See, that's cool. Can you jump from roof to roof? I'm kidding. (laughs) Go on, David. Okay. No, you're a ninja, man. As soon as you put the ninja outfit on, you can jump over tall buildings in a single bound. You can do three and four backflips and come down silently upon your opponent and put him in a half Nelson. He won't even know it. How how am I to do that when I'm only when I'm only only a kid with with no? What the? <laughs> <laughs> what did <are> you do? <laughs> <laughs> man, you were well because David. How old are you, David? Ten. See, man, you, David. When I was ten years old, I was mowing the grass, milking the cows. I was carrying three full buckets of water to the house miles away. You're full. You're almost a grown man. You're yes, almost a grown. I, you're almost a grown man, David. I'm. I'm only ten years old. Who's about to get Fifth grade. I'm about. I'm just. I just wanted to know about this because my mother said that that if you go trick tr- trick or treating is bad. Well, and I just, I just want to. I just didn't know that. Okay, so I mean, here's what I want to. Here's here's what I want to say in all seriousness before I let you go. Um, I think that we've had enough examples of dangerous things and bad things happening over the years that it would be much better to find something ever something else to do than that i would i would say that i would uh i'll leave it like that and i hope that whatever you and your mother do that you guys are on the same page so that you aren't feeling bad and she isn't feeling bad either but i'm not feeling bad pastor jesse because i had my parents stopped us from doing halloween in the first grade i mean the second grade i never was the last time i never really i never really liked it because I just see people are, are worshiping the devil and they don't even know it. And they've been deceived and they try to relabel Halloween as all these different things. And basically they glorifying the principalities of the air and they can't tell me nothing different. 
I agree you with know? you. I agree with you with that. And it's the reason for which I never allowed my kids to do trick or treat. I never, never did it. Um, it's always better that you set that pattern in the positive as was with you, too, um, so that later on in a few years, your son will get it. If he if he loves you, he'll respect you. I mean, you know, go buy him some candy <laughs> yourself. And uh and- Hold on, let me talk. Let me let me talk to David. This is David's time. Okay, Mama. I know you can trump the conversation and try to scare him with all of these weird, bizarre gymnastics and trampoline events on the part of demons on the top of heads of kids. Doing. I never heard any such apologetic in my life. All right, so David, do you understand the importance of what your mom is saying? Not that much. <laughs> okay. So here's what we'll say. Um, as the Bible says, honor your mother and the and your father um, in the Lord, and the, the, your days shall be long upon the land which the Lord your God gives. So just trust your mother's judgment until you're old enough to make a determination for yourself, okay? Okay. I wanted to tell you something. Okay. You were... My mother and I was was watching this show. Uh-huh. It was all about the Bible. Okay. It was a show called Though You Shall Not. Okay. Though Shall Not. Right. You know that in the Bible? I don't know that show. But I do know the Thou Shalt Nots in the Bible. Yeah, it's all about it's all about what you should not do near near God, I think. Okay. Okay. And and if if some, if you do something, and if you, just, it's just a killing show. It's all about, it's all about someone killing someone. But from the Bible, you, you will see, you will get something will happen. Okay. And, okay. So all right. we want to be careful that nothing bad happens to us. Yeah, it's just. I mean, it's, it's, it's only for, it's only for a reason, and they, and sometimes they. And then they um, show some parts about about what what happens, and telling you a lesson about about what you should not do to God and or to other people you care about. Mm, okay, that sounds good. I'm going to try to check into that, and then maybe I'll get back with you as to what I think about it. Okay. Okay. Just I'll, try to. Just... I'll try. I'll try to watch it. Thanks, David. Blessings, young man. Glad you listen. I'm glad you got a mom that actually does not let you just do whatever you want to do and think that that's spiritual. Bless you, mommy. Bless you. All right. Let me go to let me go to Rick and close out this segment. Line number two. Rick, are you there from Oakland? Yeah, I'm here. Pastor. You got a question, comment, observation you want to make, brother, before I take a break? I do. I have two questions. Um, one is with one is relating to how do you be content with, you know, the lifestyle 
that God has given you. Oh, that's a long question. That's a long question. You hold on. I'm going to take a break and then we're going <laughs> we're going to we're going to delve into that one. That, that's not a that's not a one word answer. So you hold on. We're going to take a break. Three lines open 188 Three lines open 188 We will be back with Rick in a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we're back. Two lines are open, by the way, if you want to call in with your questions or comments. Um, great questions tonight. Still have to answer the issue on tongues. But uh, great questions about Halloween. And David, call anytime you want to, brother. But, you know, you and moms, you guys stay tight, all right? Because that's the way to have the blessings of God in your life. Uh, two lines open, one 888 Let's go back to Rick in Oakland. Rick, what's, what was your question again? Thank you, Pastor. I, um, I'll get get to the issue like this. I've been working in my job for about five years, and mm-hmm. lately I have been miserable in it. I haven't liked it. It's too stressful. Yeah. And to add to that, my commute has just been terrible. Yeah. And I've mm-hmm. been wanting to move different cities, move jobs, looking for direction on that issue. Yeah. Um, but I also, you know, I want God to be the director of, of my next move. I want him to, you know, direct that path. And at the same time, I want to find my contentment in him. And so I'm looking to find a way not to be so miserable in my job, but to also, and to be content with what God has provided me. But also, I'm, I'm at this weird juxtaposition where, you know, it seems like in order to be content, in order to just rest in what God has given me and, you know, appreciate the benefit of that, you know, do I still apply to other jobs? Do I still look? Do I still search? You know, I, I appreciate, uh, on the one hand, I, I, I'm not liking my job and I hate my commute, but on the other hand, I've been listening to so many of your uh, uh, Grace Bible Church services. Sure. I even listened to, to women's theology last week. <laughs> so I understand that <laughs> in this affliction, you know, God has been growing me and helping yeah. me, and I've been praying to Him. So it, it might not be an issue to God. It might be a cool thing for Him that, you know, it's bringing me closer to him. It's making me more like Jesus mm. through this affliction. Mm. But mm. I don't, you know, I still, I, I'm at a space now where I have been asking, you know, other people for leads. I have been searching on my computer and it, and it just gets, it brings frustration for sure. me when I look for jobs and I'm thinking, you know, maybe I just have to wait until God says move. But then again, I don't want to just sit on my hands and not be applying and not be trying to make moves on my own. So I'm wondering, you know, I want God to be the director of my path, but at the same time, I'm feeling like I have to take matters in my own hand. All right, so those are not those are not right. Those are not mutually exclusive. So let's just run through a couple, two or three principles, and that I know it'll help you if you can grasp these. Um, It's not mutually exclusive that you and I would always be looking for avenues forward for the purpose of advancement, uh, particularly if that advancement is noble, virtuous, in the sense that, you know, I want to be able to make a, a viable and working income relative to myself and my family, if you have one. Uh, but I also want to be in a place where what I am doing is also personally edifying because I, I want to be able to thrive in it. And if I'm in a situation where there is a mixture of um, understanding the renumerical blessings of the income, the financial benefits of the job that I have, but it comes at the expense of my energy and my mental focus because uh, the traffic that I'm in every day going and coming has really worn me down to where I am finding myself thinking more negatively than positively, then that's a problem because God is certainly not calling us to a place of being tempted. 
let no man say that when he is tempted that he is a t- that he's tempted of God. And so we certainly don't want to justify a situation that is leading to a temptation as something that God wants us in. So the first thing we do is we pray about it. Pray about it, Lord. How can this situation uh, be understood and viewed on my part as something that corresponds to your will? What aspect of this is your will? Because I certainly want to be in your will, but I want to be in your will willingly. So I'm praying about that. And then secondly, I'm going to seek counsel and the multitude of counselors, their safety. When you are seeking valid counsel, it it means that you're not proud. It doesn't mean it means that you're not self-righteous and it means that you're not ambitiously driven by your own agenda. Because if you open yourself up to counsel, uh, Rick, then that means that you are going to be available to data and information that may not agree with your desires and your your bench. So I'm stating that two things you want to do first, pray to God about it. Secondly, uh, get counsel. Thirdly, make sure that you get somebody else in on praying for your situation to change if that's indeed what needs to occur. A lot of times our brothers and sisters are operating in problems and challenges that they're not sharing with others. So if you have a prayer partner or two or three or other that you can share this with, um, they can also begin to pray for you as well. We do it all the time uh, in our prayer team. I, I'm just absolutely one of the happiest pastors in the world to have 40, 50 people that pray with me every Tuesday. And we pray about all these things all the time because we know that God, he can He can give, he can take away. He can modify, he can adjust. He can rearrange, he can bless in so many ways, but we have to definitely go about it the proper way. So you are not doing anything wrong as you are pursuing a job career that can put you in a more favorable position uh, to continue uh, serving God in a uh, in a pleasant way that uh, that does not put you up against temptation. There's nothing wrong with what you are doing. Here's what I would say: in the process of you seeking a, a better situation economically, uh, strive to be joyful in the midst of the process. In other words, understand that where you are is not where you're going to always be. And because of that, you can be joyful in the expectation that a change is going to come. If you can believe God for a change, then you can be joyful in the expectation that a change is going to come even while you're waiting for it. So godliness with contentment is not mutually exclusive to troubles and and trials that we have. Those epistles that were written with those concepts and promises were written to people that were in tribulation, uh, in persecution, thrown in jail. They were slaves. (laughs) Imagine that godliness with contentment as a slave of some other man's will. So my point is, is that we can hold in tension the desire to be happy with the objective of something changing because we have given it to the Lord. We have shared it with other brothers and sisters perhaps and we're doing the right thing in terms of uh exploring avenues uh with regards to job search and putting out applications etc cetera, etc cetera. i've seen it happen over and over and over again uh for our brothers and sisters especially here in the bay area but often god will test you with being patient while that process occurs does that help yeah it does help i had a second question that i think will be quick sure um, I, well, I'm wondering what version of the Bible that we should use. My family and I, we've been memorizing verses out of the English Standard Version because yeah. it's easier for my kids to understand. Sure. ESV is but great. I'm wondering if I'm losing something by by using that version over the King James Version. Okay. Thank you, Pastor. All right. So, yeah, you can take this offline and cut your radio off. Um, ESV is just fine. 
Um, Down the line, there are battles around textual criticism and translation work that extremists get into and people that are just not completely qualified to actually talk about these things. I could care less about those kinds of opinions. Um, In general, uh, the ESV is going to work for you. Uh, the King James, New King James Bible, the New American Standard Bible. By the time you begin to run across verses that have problems with them, um, you have to actually be really solid as a theologian. But fundamentally, uh, most of your English translations, with the exception of a few really um, parallel Bibles and uh, extremely watered down modern versions, you want to stay, stray away from. So ESV is perfectly fine, my brother. I find that most people that are serious about the gospel and the doctrines of the gospel work well with ESV, uh, King James, New King James, um, and New American Standard Version. Okay, so I'm going to leave it like that. Um, uh, When you become serious about how to understand doctrine, we're going to get behind the English to the Greek and the Hebrew, and in some cases, the Aramaic, so that we can know what the original language had to say about what we're trying to believe, and uh, it frees you up from prejudices and opinions that come along the lines of translation work. So, there you go. Let me let me go to line number one and talk with Wanda before we go to a break. Wanda, what's your question or observation or comment today? Hi, I um I I have a question. Sure. Um the passage in the Bible that says, and for my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation, in sure and quiet resting places or dwelling places. Yeah, Isaiah thirty three. Yeah. Okay. I live in a neighborhood in East Oakland and I grew up here. And um and Fast forward, I moved out and I came back to the neighborhood after my mom passed in March of 2008. Well, for two years, I was kind of not all there because of the grieving process. Sure. But I've been here since then, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to be perfectly candid with you. I am so tired of mariachi bands and my Latino um, brothers and sisters partying from 6 o'clock in the evening until two and three and four in the morning, you, I don't, I don't, I, I'm so frustrated and I'm sleep deprived right now. And it's like you, you, I call the police, but the police don't come. And I'm like, then my, my friends say, well, if you were really at peace, you could just go right to sleep. But I'm like, Lord, how do I, how can I move the hand of God because I'm just believing God to be able to move out of here. Do you have a, do you, do you have, I'm going to take a break and then I'm going to come back and share with you that I have been through the precise exact situation that you are in. And then, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to talk about it. Uh, It's really good when you talk to somebody that's been there and done that, bought the t-shirt and mailed it back. But before we do that, I want to know, do you have a big enough pillow uh, that has a little bit of weight to it. You might have to dunk that pillow in some water so that you can throw it at your friend that tells you that you need to just go to sleep when mariachi bands are playing. <laughs> Wet the pillow. Wet the pillow. So hold on. I'm going to take a break, and then we're going to close this out together. We're going to commiserate together, sister. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. The time is 6.49, and we are talking with Wanda, and she is down to her last nerve. With what used to be a very peaceable and uh, tranquil block upon which she lives, 
in Oakland, I might say. Yes, Oakland has many areas in its uh in its neighborhoods where you can live and it's just as quiet and peaceful and tranquil. And then right around the corner, they're all acting an absolute chaotic fool. Didn't matter to me as long as on my block it was quiet and calm and I could rest and and go to sleep in peace. Until Wanda, are you there? I am here. Yeah, until until I remember this was back about nineteen uh, 83, 84, 1983, 84, I was living off of Fruitville in Oakland off of East 17th in a cul-de-sac, uh, a street that had no exit. You had to turn around to go out. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And, I do. And then I lived in a par- an apartment complex as a young man uh, that was also like a cul-de-sac. In other words, it was the apartments faced each other all the way to the end, and so you had to turn around to to go out as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it served as an amphitheater and <laughs> it served as an amphitheater. So when I first moved there, Wanda, when I first moved there, there were only a handful of old, nice, very nice, old white people. Uh, It was just beautiful. And we were I had three kids, I believe, at the time. My wife will correct me when I get home. Uh, We were a happy uh, (laughs) couple with three kids and I go to work. I come home. It was peace and quiet for about a year and a half. And then one day I'm driving home. Wanda, this is the truth. I'm driving home and I turn down my street. And you know, sometimes when you're coming from work, you kind of drive automatic pilot. You don't really pay attention to the to how you got from point A to point B. Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? All right. So yeah. I, I turned down the street upon which I lived and was thankful to be living on that quiet little unassuming block. And as I start driving, I am looking and I am seeing... Latino babies in diapers everywhere. I mean, it it was like it happened in one day. Now, it didn't happen in one day. It just gradually. But one day I looked up and there were Latino babies everywhere. And I pull out and get out of my car and I'm waving and I'm saying hi and me no habla inglés, you know, and, and okay, okay. And then it began to happen. Starting at about seven o'clock. Yes. And you go, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, because back in the day I was used to R&B. And so, I mean, I yeah. probably could have tolerated it if it was just a little bit of some of that. But but it was cool. It was, you know, at seven o'clock. All right. We young. We can handle that. Eight o'clock. All right. OK, it's nine o'clock now. OK. Right, I just know they're going to shut it down in a minute. It's nine o'clock. Oh, 10 o'clock. And and listen, the thing that was absolutely amazing was how loud it was. I was like, I was like, this is an apartment complex where everybody faces each other. And the music was tremendously loud. And it stayed loud till 11 or 12 o'clock. And it was the first night, it was just traumatizing. You know, it was just traumatizing. And I assumed, okay, that was just a one-time thing. Maybe they had a party. But you know, it took me a minute to learn that they are cultural people and quinceañadas and and baby parties and baptisms and Christendoms are happening virtually every week. Yes. 
And I'll Absolutely. tell you, I could go on and on and on about the story. I'm not. All I'm going to say to you uh, is that I completely concur and sympathize with your state of mind around it because it's both um, inconsiderate and oh, unkind. Goodness. It's yes, inconsiderate it and unkind. And here's the other problem. Uh, you know, police don't they just will not interfere with that. They're just not going to interfere with that. So here's the thing. Uh, you know that uh, in all likelihood, unless there's some kind of divine intervention on a judgment level that wipes out that kind of behavior to occur for which you cannot pray, um, even though you might think about it, you can't pray that way. Um, uh, the only other thing to do is begin to contemplate a move. We have the freedom to move to a place that's much more quiet and peaceable. And if you have the capacity to do so, you might recognize that what's taking place right now, Wanda, is just a time for a change. Yes, I I believe that's it, too. And I'm just going to have to really... Just be prayerful because I'm a teacher. I don't make a lot of money. Right. Of course you don't. And we love you guys and we pray for you guys all the time because one of my daughters is a teacher as well. And I just know so many teachers that are out there doing a a wonderful job of ministering to our kids. But you guys don't get paid nowhere near enough for you to be able to do those sorts of things. So I do understand the difficulty of of even contemplating living somewhere else uh, in light of the situation. But you know what I have to say, Wanda, because. I had been there and done that. See, you know what was the straw that broke the camel's back for me? No, what? They would be smiling, saying, me no habla inglés. And I wasn't at that time even willing to learn Espanol so that I could have substantive dialogue with them, even though I was a believer in Christ. Uh, But they, they went into my mailbox and stole my checks. And oh, yeah, the very people that were living with me and smiling. And uh, I was waiting for uh, an un- uh, uh, a income tax check, you know, and I, I wasn't making a whole lot of money. I was we had just got married and, you know, we were robbing Peter to pay Paul and I'm I'm looking for my income tax check. You know that. And it didn't show up. And I'm saying, where's my income tax check? And you know what I discovered? One of the little ladies that would smile at me every day with one baby in the arm, another in on the ground walking had pried into my mailbox, smiling at me, saying, me no habla inglés, and took my income tax check right down the street to a Hispanic market and signed her name on top of my name. And her, and listen, her name didn't look nothing like my name. <laughs> when we finally got the check back because the, uh, the you know, IRS hunted it down because I told them I did not cash that check. They hunted it down and realized that a scam was going on in the neighborhood. This is the few Fruitvale district before it was largely Latino. And so I said, all right, I got to go because I was, I was being tempted to be very negative in my thoughts. And I didn't want that. I did not want that. Yeah. Best thing I could yeah. do was leave. Yes. Well, I am believing God, and I'm trusting God for uh, to be able to move to another place. And as you know, the rent in the Bay Area ridiculous. is very expensive. But I'm just trusting and believing God that I'll be able to. Where do you Where do you yet. teach? I teach at a Montessori school yeah. in Oakland. Yeah, no, I got you. Um, um, and so, yeah, we're going to keep you in prayer, Wanda. Do you have a prayer team? I do not have a prayer team. Girl, you, we got to have, have people who we love and that, that can pray. We got to have people to stand in the gap with us. 
So, well, we got you because my prayer team listens to me. They, they, they happen to actually like their pastor. So uh, they listen to me and they listen to this program and they will remind me tomorrow, the Lord willing that, Hey, we've got to pray for Wanda. So Wanda, yeah, yeah, you know, I have a, I have a a 16 year old special needs child. He's autistic. And um, and we have to just go out to Livermore or something and get a hotel room. I agree. It's ridiculous. So, no, we're going to pray for that for sure, and we're going to stay on it until there's a solution that God intervenes, and then I'm going to want you to call back and give me the testimony as to how God worked it out. Hallelujah. I will. Thank you so much. All right, my sister. Bless you. Thank you so much. Bless you as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, been there, done that. Been there, done that. All I could do was pull the U-Haul truck up, load up, speaking in English. How do you say it? Uh, Hasta la vista. (laughs) Adios. Uh, And I love my Latino brothers and sisters. I really do. I got my grandkids in that, in that, in that, uh, in that uh, nationality and ethnicity. I love y'all. I love y'all, but we can be insensitive until then. Keep your eyes on Christ. Lord willing. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.